thing we'd done was wrong. Staying in the wilderness too long. Keep your eyes on the prize. Hold on. The only thing we'd done was right. Was the day we started to fight. Keep your eyes on the prize. You are listening to Farm and Fiddle, the podcast that celebrates and explores rural life for today and tomorrow. Every week since June 1999, we have brought you the best voices in sustainable agriculture on Mid-Missouri's KOPN 89.5 FM. This is Rhett Hartman. I'm Margot McMillan. Thanks for listening. This recording of a speech by Pete Buttigieg was made at the annual meeting of the Iowa Farmers Union in Grinnell, Iowa on December 6, 2019. Thanks for the chance to, to join you. I'll be brief by way of introduction so we can get right into the conversation. But I, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come together. I want to thank you for the work that you do. Uh, I want to share as quickly as possible why I'm running for president. I am running not only to be the Democratic nominee who can bring change to the White House, uh, not just to end the Trump presidency, but to launch the era that's got to come next. And so my campaign revolves around the need to prepare for that first day when the sun comes up in this country, and Donald Trump's no longer the president. When that day comes, we're all looking forward to that. But I think we're also all aware of how challenged America will be at that time. Our problems will not go away. We will be more divided than ever. And at the same time, we'll also have policy challenges requiring bold action. So the job of the next president is to solve and face these big policy challenges with bold action, and to do it in a way that draws the American people together. And a very important set of examples of what it's gonna to take to do that comes from the need to make sure that we are supporting farmers and supporting rural America. I come from an industrial city, uh, South Bend, Indiana, about six hours up I-80 East, whichever way is east. And uh, our experience is different, you pointed that way, okay. Uh, I believe you. It's a little different from the smallest towns around us but uh, also one thing in common, which is I remember growing up with the message that success meant getting out. And it took me a while to figure out that where I actually belonged most was at home. And I talked to folks, especially in farm families and folks across rural America, who are wondering whether their kids and their grandkids will be able to prosper in the same farming business and just plain in the same counties and communities where they grew up. In order to see to it that the answer is yes, we have to make sure that we are investing in rural America, investing in economic opportunity, investing in health, and investing in the future of American farming at a time when farmers are being squeezed on all sides. Squeezed by consolidation 
giving folks fewer and fewer places to buy from or to sell to, squeezed by a trade war that nobody around here asked for, and that even the MFP is not making folks hold on, squeezed by a policy around so-called small refinery waivers. I don't know when these big oil giants came to be regarded as small, uh, but we know how that's contributing as well. One thing I've learned from talking to farmers is that farmers do math for a living and deal with uncertainty for a living. And right now we have way too many sources of uncertainty on top of the ones you're already facing from uh, the, the year to year challenges that farming faces. And we've got to do something about that by acting to deal with this consolidation, by acting to end a self-defeating trade war, by acting to support biofuels, and by recruiting and funding farming to be a central part of how we deal with the climate challenge, where all of us have a lot to lose, but also farming has so much to contribute. I want us to be as proud of what American farming did to demonstrate how agriculture around the world could become carbon negative, as we are of Norman Borlaug and the work that that did around the world, world to help feed millions. And I see that in the future of American farming. So I promised I'd be short on monologue. I'll take my seat. But hopefully that gives you a sense of where I'm coming from and why I'm so glad to be with you this evening. Thanks again for the chance to be here. Again, thank you so much for being here. You know, in the last uh, few, uh, number of years, farm income has dropped about 50%. Uh, the median farmer has lost money again last year, and, and farmers are tightening their belts. Uh, and it's showing up in all sorts of ways. All the statistics indicate that we're experiencing some real stress on the farm. That means we're losing equity and putting off investments and delaying bringing the next generation back to the farm. What should we do to address this farm income crisis? So you're right. This has now reached crisis proportions. Uh, I think uh, I think it's you all who put out that uh, Thanksgiving dinner uh, thing that shows the, the cents on the dollar that now go to farmers out of food in America. I don't think most folks realize uh, how little of it now reaches those who produce the food. And it's one of the reasons why I was mentioning earlier this problem of consolidation. We know that's part of it. Uh, the squeeze that comes from having to buy supplies from fewer and fewer actors uh, and having to sell to fewer and fewer players. Uh, we could act on that. How could we do it? Well, for one thing, uh, making sure that we have vigorous antitrust enforcement. But another thing is there are laws already on the books that could be enforced better. Think about the, uh, uh, the different uh, laws that, that we've already got out there. Um, and we can commit ourselves to ensuring that we're doing everything we can to stand by American farmers. Part of it's opening new markets, export markets. Now, the reverse is happening as long as we're in this trade war. But uh, I still believe that we're creating the best products in the world, uh, not only to feed America, but to feed the world. But that means having a president who actually cares about this and is not asking you to take one for the team year after year after year, but actually makes it a central part of US trade policy to make sure that we're creating more opportunities for American farmers to sell. Uh, and of course, we, got, we can't control the weather from year to year, but we know that we can act to make sure that climate doesn't get away from us. Uh, because one thing that's going to continue to put pressure on farming, as it does on city life, is the increased frequency and severity of extreme weather events that I think has become too intense to ignore. There's a, there are a series of questions that we've been wrestling with uh, this afternoon around quality of life. And, rural America, and in particular, 
around some of the large concentrated uh, animal feeding operations and the, sort of the, the water degradation and, and air pollution that results from that. Um, and so I, I think there's, if I can sum them all up, it is, do you see this as an issue? And if so, how do you suggest that we deal with this in rural America as a society? There's no question that it's an issue. When you're a mayor, you think a lot about, you're in the business of delivering clean water, for example. So you think a lot about these questions of environmental quality. And we need to make sure that, uh, for example, we've got the master matrix tuned up in a way that uh, supports uh, a sustainable level of growth when it comes to animal feeding. Uh, we need to make sure that we reverse the destruction of uh, clean air and clean water standards under the EPA. A lot of it's just personnel. Personnel is policy. And if the head of the Environmental Protection Agency is a, a co-lobbyist, uh, it's hard to believe they are somebody who believes in environmental protection. But again, when we're expecting and asking farmers to be part of the solution, we've got to be willing to put resources behind that. Now we've got EQIP, we've got the Conservation Stewardship Program. We should be uh, expanding access to those kinds of programs in order to make sure that we're putting federal dollars behind what we're asking uh, local communities and, and farming to do. So those are some of the steps that would make a difference on the environmental side. When you talk more broadly about uh, uh, quality of life and quality of place, I also think we need to be investing in regional partnerships that support innovation, fusing technology, apprenticeships, and economic growth for rural areas. Now, that's gonna mean a regional approach that doesn't always come instinctively to, I think, Midwestern counties. We're used to sometimes competing against the neighboring county. But when our competition is not the next county over, but uh, sometimes a minor city of five million in China or something like that, we want to make sure here at home that we're doing more by way of regional partnerships that cross some of those county lines. And we would try to fund that with regional resilience hubs. Another thing we've got to do is healthcare. This is part of quality of life too. And you know, around the time I was born, there was no gap. There was no difference between life expectancy in, in rural America and for city dwellers. Now, uh, I believe that gap has reached the biggest proportions in a half century. And so we've got to reverse the, the loss and the closure of hospitals, medical facilities, and the shortage of providers for medical, physical, mental health, uh, physical, medical health, and for mental health and addiction, which you also know is such a problem. A problem that's not unrelated to the income problem you're talking about before. Uh, the, the darkest consequence of the reduction in farm income is the increase not only in farm uh, bankruptcies, but in farm suicides. Uh, and we know that there are more steps we can undertake uh, not just on those underlying causes, uh, but also just to make sure that the health resources are where they need to be. So that whether you're directly involved in farming or not, you know that you can thrive in a rural area. And uh, that commitment is, uh, is personal to me, uh, coming from Indiana and, and seeing what folks are going through in rural communities, whether it's here, there, or around the country as we, as we travel in this campaign. You know, we estimate that uh, Iowans, only uh, only about 10 to 15% of the food that they eat actually comes from Iowa farms. And <clears throat> But we also know that local and regional food systems are gaining in momentum and, and uh, that fresh, healthy food from local farmers has proven healthy benefits. How do we encourage those connections between farmers and consumers uh, to create real opportunities in healthy communities and healthy kids? So glad you raised that because uh, a really important part of health policy is food policy. Uh, 
Uh, I could do a whole hour up here about why we think our Medicare for all who wanted plan is better than the Medicare for all alternatives or some of the other ideas that my competitors have, but we're talking about that one part of healthcare, an important one to be sure. We're talking about it like it's all that matters. Actually, one of the things we know is that uh, a huge part of how you're going to do health-wise is not anything that goes on inside the doors of the walls of a hospital or a doctor's office. It's what happens before that. And so much of that has to do with food. Uh, so where does our food come from? Is it made of, uh, of, of things we can pronounce? Uh, do we know what all went into it and what journey it's been through on its way to us? These are things that I think need to be much nearer to the heart of our policy. And part of it uh, can directly come from USDA. Of course, there's a reason why USDA is in charge of uh, some of the child nutrition and, and, and school nutrition programs we do. Uh, part of it's a broader public education discussion, I think, that has to happen. Uh, and part of it is making sure in the course of our trade deals that we don't disadvantage domestic farming uh, that is likely to lead to more local sourcing and, and good health. Uh, we also need to make sure there's a fair and level playing field uh, when it comes to retail in this country. If the biggest retail companies can figure out a way to park their profits to where they don't pay any taxes at all, while a regional uh, retailer, or, or for that matter, a regional restaurant, uh, uh, chain or, or whatever we're talking about, um, doesn't have the kind of scale to, to take advantage of the system like that, then it's not actually a level playing field and it's gonna continue to push things uh, in this direction where you have less and less local. Now the good news is, I think consumers are becoming more aware. I think communities are becoming more aware. Uh, and one of the things I love about farmers markets is they're one of the few spaces where people with very different stories and, and backgrounds still come together. You, you, uh, you, you got, uh, you don't know when you see somebody wearing a trucker hat, whether it's because they're a hipster or because they're a farmer. They might even be both. And uh, we need to build up more of that in our communities because it's part of how we get across some of these social divisions too. We've had a lot of, a lot of questions around the issue of climate change. You talked a little bit about it. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of focus here on Iowa and a IPCC report that predicts uh, Iowa will have more than 40 days of above 100 degree temps uh, by 2050. Of course, we know all about the flooding and other uh, issues that result from this. And the question is really, how do we prepare for the massive crop failures that are likely to be happening, but also as a part of that, how do we pay for fixing, and how do we fix this problem? So the problem is upon us, and uh, as you said, the IPCC has talked about what will happen by 2050 if we don't act by 2030. But the real deadline is 2020, because we don't have a president who cares about this and is ready to take bold action by the end of the 2020 election. There's no way we hit the targets that we need to by 2030 to prevent the disaster you're describing in 2050. And it's why we need to, uh, of course, win. <laughs> and need to make sure that uh, we deliver a climate policy with concrete, measurable, and aggressive goals. Our plan would have the economy net carbon neutral by 2050. And there are things we can do in the short term. By 2025, we can double the amount of clean energy on the grid. There are some things that will take longer. For heavy transportation, 
and moving into industry, those are the things that will uh, not fully hit their strides till the 2040s, but only if we're act acting very ambitiously in the 2020s by, for example, quadrupling research, federal R&D, to over 20 billion uh, a year in renewable energy and energy storage and carbon storage. It's why we need a carbon price or carbon tax and dividend. It's why we need global climate diplomacy, because the US is only a fifth of the emissions, less. So we can't do it without the rest of the world. Now, the rest of the world can't do it without us. So I also think at a time when US leadership is no longer really respected, we have an opportunity to restore US credibility by using our leadership role around the world to guide the, the nations of the world in tackling this issue. But we need an all of the above approach and we gotta get to work now on that. It's personal for me, like everything else, I, I think about it through the lens of my own community. We had a flood, one of those 3 a.m. emergency management moments that a mayor has, that they told me was a thousand year flood. Um, we had another flood two years later that was also a once or twice in a millennium thing. So it's clear that it's already changing. And that's why we also need to invest in resilience and disaster preparedness. No matter how good of a job we do on mitigating the climate impacts, it's already happening. And it's why my disaster plan calls for us to streamline the lines of funding and the flows of support through, for example, FEMA. It's why we need to invest in regional strategies because you, uh, an individual area is going to know what they need to do to prepare. Uh, and it's why we need to make sure we're ahead of any impacts this could have on the U.S. food supply because at that point, it starts to become a national security issue too. Um, the average age of a farmer in Iowa is about 60, uh, about 60 years old. Uh, and young people who want, who wish to farm, face serious, serious barriers. And two of the largest ones are uh, land access and a huge amount of student loan debt. How would you work to uh, uh, lessen these barriers for beginning farmers? All right, help is on the way. So when it comes to student loan debt, uh, first of all, I've laid out a proposal that would make college public college completely tuition-free for the first 80% of Americans by income. You get above 80%, it's kind of a sliding scale. If you're fortunate enough to be in the top 10%, uh, I certainly wish you well, but we're going to ask you to pay your own tuition. Uh, on the back end, though, we can also make sure that we're supporting with income-based uh, repayment and ways to forgive your student debt for public service, uh, ways to make sure we reduce it on that end, too. Because there are all these costs, things that aren't necessarily thought of as farm policy, like you're saying, student loan policy is farm policy because it impacts young people's ability to go into the field. So is healthcare, right? Uh, so many folks, I, I talk to uh, couples where one spouse gets a job in town that doesn't really make sense for the family except they need the healthcare, they need the benefits. One of many reasons uh, that we need reform and one of many problems that, that our vision of Medicare for all who wanted could fix because it wouldn't depend on whether you work for a big employer or a big company uh, in order to be able to get healthcare. Uh, land access, uh, obviously a, a complex challenge, but an example of one where I think if we do get a handle on this consolidation and this push toward monopoly, uh, that that would help us break some of that loose. Okay, last question. Do you, do you think family farms are important and why? I feel like there's a correct and an incorrect <laughs> answer to that question. <laughs> Of course they're important. And 
they're important because it's such an important part of the American way of life. You know, you look at the, the, the money that is being kicked around in this country. You look at the, the money that the president is throwing at the problem he created with, with uh, the trade deal. And you think about what it would mean to invest in ensuring that this way of life persists. We already do this as a country. The fact that a postage stamp costs the same, whether you're sending a postcard from Grinnell to, to Cedar Rapids, or whether you're sending it from South Bend to Seattle, shows that we make certain decisions to level the playing field to make sure that we support uh, our, our way of life and support national unity. Uh, for reasons of food security, for reasons of heritage, uh, for reasons of economic growth and development in rural areas, for reasons of just plain economic fairness, cannot allow farming to become one more thing that's been gobbled up by the biggest corporations in the world. And I think that the, the potential that lies within American farm families deserves to be supported from the highest office in the land. My personal commitment is to do that from the Oval Office if you invite me to be your president. Thank you. That concludes our questions for today. If you'd like a few minutes to uh, conclude, we would appreciate it very much. All right, bonus round. Um, <laughs> well, <clears throat> let me end where I began, which is to say that we not only need to tackle these policy challenges we've been talking about that can't wait any longer, whether it's income, mental health, uh, uh, health care, disappearance of rural hospitals, climate change, we got to act now. Can't wait 10 years, can't wait four years. we got to act right away. But also, we have got to figure out a way to do this that leaves us more unified than divided at the end of the day. I am not pretending we're all going to agree on everything or on anything. But having lived under a divider-in-chief, we need to find a way to rally around the values that we care about as Americans. And my campaign revolves around these values. We can honor American values like freedom without falling into this idea that freedom comes from cutting every government program and regulation and tax you've ever seen. Sometimes freedom means making sure the policy world steps up, like when it comes to healthcare. I see a lot of values that are celebrated in rural areas but used by politicians to pit us against each other. I see that happening with faith all the time. In a country that was set up by design to belong equally to people of every religion and no religion, but also where those who are guided in their moral values by religious considerations are looking at this White House scratching their head. The latest was this thing they did to SNAP, taking food out of the hands of those who need it. You don't have to belong to any particular religious tradition to have the words, I was hungry and you did not feed me, ringing in your ears if you see those news reports. We can do better. We can do so much better, and we have to, and we are running out of time running for president because our country's running out of time, but I'm also running for president because it's not too late. And I am convinced we'd be very proud of what we did as a country in 2020 to turn things around and to set things up so that by the time I've got grandkids, and I'm hoping they can live in the community where they grew up, they're working on a whole different set of issues than what we've been debating here in our time. That's the promise that I can offer. That and a presidency where we have when you turn on the TV and look at the White House, or when the subject of politics comes up at coffee later, 
uh, your blood pressure actually goes down a little bit instead of up to the I think we need that as a country right now. In addition to bold actions and real solutions, I'm committed to partnering with all of you and with rural America to deliver prosperity for everybody in our time before it's too late. So thanks so much for the invitation to be here. Thanks for your work. And I look forward to seeing you on the campaign trail. And of course, I'm asking you to caucus for me in February and help us make this. Thank you. Thanks very much.